0: Israel, it is the heart of the Middle East, the most important country in all of human history, and the single most influential place that's impacted your life. It was the home of the prophets, the location that once held the Holy of Holies and the birthplace of the Gospels. The connection between this land and your heart is undeniable, but you can also be a blessing to this nation by partnering with the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. Now is an exciting time to be a part of what God is doing in Israel. Biblical prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes. The Jewish people are returning to their homeland from the four corners of the earth, and light has returned to the land itself and the Holy Spirit has been moving on the heart of Christians, just like you, to be a part, and ICEJ has been there. Since 1980, ICEJ has been the direct connection to the land of Israel for Christians all around the world. And together, we are helping the needy, providing shelter for Holocaust survivors, integrating new immigrants, supporting minorities, mentoring youth at risk, and have actively helped 150,000 Jews come home to Israel. These are just a few of the people groups ICEJ is impacting. And with a reach of over 170 nations, the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem has become a leading voice of Christian support and friendship to the Jewish people. So get involved and be a blessing to the nation and the people of Israel. The International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, your embassy, your voice, join us today.
1: Shalom from Jerusalem. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is where you are, but greetings from Jerusalem, the city that God chose, the city of the great King. This afternoon, we're privileged to have one of my favorite Bible teachers, and I say that very sincerely, even though I also have the privilege of working for him. But Dr. Jürgen Bueller has been living in this land 25 years and is a scholar in physics and chemistry, but also in the word of God and what God is doing in this land. So I'm excited to introduce Dr. Jürgen Buhler as he's going to talk through with us 10 reasons to support Israel and the Jewish people. Jürgen.
2: Yes, thank you so much, Barry, for those kind words and for the introduction. Um, and uh, it's a great joy to share with you those thoughts, ten reasons how we can bless or why we should bless Israel. And I have to give you a warning right from the onset uh, that this is the part one, the 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 first uh, part of a two-part series. Well, today we go through five reasons and next week in the next webinar, we take another five reasons with us. And I just want to show you before we start with the webinar, um, a few exciting things that are taking place here in Israel. And um, number one, yesterday, the Knessets were in uh, the new president of the state of Israel, Mr. Isaac Herzog. And uh, I want to encourage everybody who is on this call also to pray for him and to pray for his presidency. Uh, many people have great hopes in his uh, leadership, and I shared it yesterday in the global prayer gathering. That uh, Mr. Herzog is a man who can trace back his family lineage all the way to King David, and it is indeed somebody which we need to cover and accompany in prayer as he's. Giving leadership to the nation of Israel. Secondly, also, uh, Barry Denison, who just introduced me right now, and myself, we had the privilege this morning to meet uh, with the uh, key leaders of other Christian pro-Israel organizations, uh, Bridges for Peace, Christian's Friend of Israel, Tom Hess, uh, of the Jerusalem House of Prayer. And uh, what really I, I, this meeting again, underlined, and what I'm so excited about is that Um, there is a great unity among the leaders. It's not a spirit of competitiveness, but uh, we were together as friends and we were praying together. And I think this is uh, one of the foundations why, how we can expect also why God could bless us that we are together in unity here in the City of God. And I think, Barry, you agree, this was a wonderful meeting uh, earlier today as we were leading with those uh, ministry leaders in Jerusalem. I want to welcome also quite a number of people. I see you are joining us from uh, China and the Chinese-speaking world. want to recognize you and thank also Haifa, who very happily returned back to Jerusalem. Yeah, we were very glad to see her back in, in, uh, in her home country, I have to say, the, the land of Israel, where she's translating to you. And also I want to thank Yulia uh, and Carolina, who are translating into Portuguese and into Spanish. And uh, it's a great joy to share the word of God today with us. Um, The reason why I feel um, this topic I'm talking about today is so important, ten reasons why we should bless Israel, is that um, the subject of Israel in many churches around the world is a subject that is not much taught about from the pulpit and from churches. And the reason for that is, is not that the pastor might not like Israel or that the pastor doesn't have a heart for Israel. But many times the reason is very simple, is that when pastors receive their theological education, when they are prepared to be pastors, for their churches, I would suggest to you today that 90% of the Bible colleges around the world, if not more, are not teaching about Israel in those Bible colleges. You might learn uh, Greek language, you might learn hear about hermeneutics, uh, you might hear uh, about exegesis of the Bible, and many other very important uh, pastoral care. Etc. leadership lessons, but very, very few Bible schools really teach about Israel. And that's why many pastors, and they told me this themselves, they said, you know, we don't feel we are equipped to speak about that subject. So today's message, in a way, it's uh, first of all to every believer around the world, but I hope and pray that those five points that we cover today and the five points that we will cover next week, um, can serve also as a, a stimulation for pastors around the world to bring this topic to their pul- pulpit and to preach from time to time what God is doing about Israel. So the big question today is indeed, why should we bless Israel? Why should the church care about Israel? And uh, this question, it, um it is an important question because it also we have to realize it is a new um, a new question that is coming to the church and new in the context of church history. We have to face it that over the the last 2,000 years, for almost 1,800, 1,900 years. This question was not rele- relevant because there was no nation of Israel existing. It was very difficult for the Church to build up and to establish their own theological relationship with the people of Israel because they couldn't see this state that emerged again in the Middle East according to biblical prophecy. There were some preachers that knew and they had a prophetic insight like Charles Spurgeon or Charles Wesley. They recognized one day God is going to restore the Jewish people. But many pastors and theologians, they didn't think about it because it was just not on their radar screen. And when they looked to the Jewish people, they did see them dispersed, and they did see them um, almost cut off from the blessings of God. So the question that we are talking today, why is it important for the church, to bless Israel is a relative new question for the global body of Christ, at least new in the context of wider church history. And I, feel, I believe that's why one of the reasons why you also don't find that so much in Bible colleges being taught uh, around the world. Now, let's go to those 10 reasons. I told you five today and five next week. Reason, next week. reason number one why it is important for us to to bless Israel. And it's the most fundamental and the most maybe important reason is because the Bible very clearly states that God loves Israel. God loves the Jewish people. The reason number one why we are called to bless Israel is because God loves them. And I want to read you one passage from the prophet Zechariah chapter thirty-one. And there we read in verses two to four where the Lord says, Thus says the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah to us today. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness." when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away, I loved you with an everlasting love, the Lord says. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O Virgin of Israel. And here it is right there in verse 3, where the Lord says, Why do I'm building you? He says, why? Because I have loved you with an everlasting love. And this is such an important subject in the Bible that... God expresses his love to the Jewish people. You already see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, where the Lord tells Israel, he says, I have not chosen you because you are better, larger, mightier than the other nations, because you are more intelligent or you receive more Nobel Prizes than other nations. The Lord says, I have chosen you. Why? Because I love you. And this is such an important theme for us to understand, that God loves the Jewish people. He loves Israel, He loves the Jewish people, He loves um, the people that He elected 4,000 years ago through Abraham. Now, there are people that tell me, they said, well, Jürgen, how can God really like the Jewish people? How can he love a nation like the Jewish people? And um, some of them might even have looked to the news in recent days, and they have seen what was happening in Tel Aviv just a week ago, where there was a huge uh, uh, gay pride parade with hundreds of thousands of Israelis marching through the streets of Jerusalem, endorsing family values that are so contrary to the Bible that uh, people say, how can God love a people like that? And the answer here is very simple. It is for the same reason why God is loving the Jewish people, why He is also loving you and me from the Gentiles. It is important for us to understand the love of God is not a conditional love. The love of God towards your life and towards my life is not based on condition. But the word of God says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, and this is such an important verse, he says, while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord didn't say, he says, I might die for Jürgen Bühler, I might die for Barry if he improves himself, if he starts working on his salvation, if he really demonstrates that he's willing to change. The Word of God says that... He loved so much that the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for our sins. And he did so while we still were sinners because he saw what he's going to accomplish with us in the future. And this is exactly the nature of God's love to the Jewish people that he says, I love them. They are my people. And therefore, it is good for us also to love what God is loving. I have learned something in my marriage. I'm now 27 years married. I believe I shared it at some occasion, maybe even on this platform, that when my wife and I got married, uh, the very next day we moved to Israel and we, we chartered a flight and we started living here in the land. I started it in uh, in Rehobo to study physics and chemistry. And then later on, we moved to the Christian embassy. And um, I learned something in those 27 years that, when my wife is passionate about something, when she loves certain things, it is important for me to recognize that. If I see the passions and the love of my wife, recognize them and even support them, this is one of the recipes of a successful and a happy marriage. We as believers, so many times, we call ourselves as the bride of Jesus Christ. He is our bridegroom, and we are his bride. Now, if we really love Jesus, we need to be passionate about what he is passionate about. There could be other passages that I give to you today. If you read... Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 41, um, in the very same book. If you just turn your pages around to verse 41, he says, I will rejoice in doing you good to Israel. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. That means that because God loves them, the restoration of Israel is indeed a matter of the heart of God, where He is passionate about. Zechariah chapter Chapter 1 verse 14, Zechariah chapter 8 verse 2. Both are passages where the Lord says, I'm very zealous for my people. I'm zealous to rebuild Zion. I'm zealous to dwell among my people. And the motivation for that is the love of God. Zechariah 1 verse 14 and Zechariah 8 verse 2, if you want to read that yourself. So that means, the restoration of Israel is really a matter of the heart of God. It is something that His heartbeat is really behind it. Where He says, "I love the Jewish people," and therefore it's a great joy to restore them, to rebuild them, because I have loved them with an everlasting last, everlasting love. One last word: this love of God to His people, and the same is true also for God's love for your life and for my love life. This is an everlasting love. It's a love that is not dependent on conditions it's a love that is not stopping after a season but it's a love a love that is lasting forever that means the same is true also for your life dear brother and sister wherever you might be living he is loving you also with an everlasting life just as he love as he as he is loving the jewish people so why do we bless israel why do we love the jewish people very simple because Jesus loves them. And I think this is already reason enough why we should engage, taking our effort and our time to bless Israel. But of course, there is much more to that. Reason number two is that we should bless Israel. We should love Israel. We should stand with Israel. Why? Because God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a covenant-keeping God. Or I could say also, God is a God who keeps his promises, or a God who keeps the oath that he made with the Jewish people. And for this thought, I would like you to open your Bibles in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is the passage where God makes a covenant with Abraham. If you start chapter 15 from the very beginning, the Lord says, he says, I'm your shield, and I'm your revo- your very great reward, he says. Um, look towards the heaven in verse 5, chapter 15, and see the stars, if you are able to count them. And he says, in such a way will your offspring be. An uncountable number of people. At another passage, God says, they will be like the sand of the sea. And then the Abraham asks God later on, he says, In verse verse 8, he says, but Lord, how do I know that I will possess the land of Israel? And then God told him something very interesting. And I'm reading here in verse 9. He said to him, this is Genesis chapter 15, verse 9. He said to him, bring to me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a dove.'" and a young pigeon, and he brought them to him, all those, he cut them in half, and he laid each half over against to the other. But he said not to cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the caracas, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be so churning in a land that is not theirs. They will be their servants, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And then I, consider, I continue reading further in verse 17. He says, I'm going to bring them back in the fourth generation. And the sun had go down, and it was dark. And behold, a smoking fire put, a flaming torch, Passed between those pieces, and that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the, the river of Euphrates. Uh, of Egypt to the great river to the great river to, of Euphrates, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenesites, Cadomites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Gilgazites, and the Chebusites. And what was taking place on that day was quite an extraordinary act. Abraham was called as a proof that God would indeed give him this land as an eternal possession. God was dividing animals in two halves. In two halves, there was a ram, there was a heifer, there were even even birds that he had. The birds he didn't cut, but the larger animals he he cut them in two halves. And you might wonder yourself and ask yourself, this is rather a strange behavior in order to do something like that, to confirm your promise to somebody. But if you would have lived in the time of Abraham, you would have understood perfectly well what Abraham was asked to do. This procedure that looks so strange to us today was the custom at the time of Abraham in biblical times we have to say how two parties were engaging in a covenant with each other. When two parties, be it nations or kings or even um, family members, were making a covenant with each other, there was always bloodshed that was taking place at, the, uh, through the cutting of a covenant. The Hebrew world actually speaks about not making a covenant, but cutting a covenant, referring to the cutting of the pieces in two parts. Now, what did this symbolize? We have seen here that at the end the Lord, in the, in, the, in the form of a fiery torch, was passing through those animal pieces as He was making the covenant. And what normally took place when two people made a covenant with each other, those two covenant parties were walking together through those pieces And the message was very simple that they gave to each other. They said, if one of us is breaking the covenant, if one of us is not keeping what we are promising to each other today, he says, they they were saying the same then shall happen to us as a consequence what happened to those animals. In other words, if I break my covenant, if I break the promise, I am willing to die for you. It was the largest, the most powerful the greatest way, how two people could express their commitment to each other, you could say it is the highest level of promise that two people were giving to each other, and that 's by the way also why the, uh, the the relationship between husband and wife in the Bible is called a marriage covenant. Now, if you marry your wife or your husband, what are you telling him before the altar of God? You say, we will stay together. How long? Until maybe better times come, maybe somebody more beautiful, or as long as my wife or husband stays healthy. No, we are telling them. It says, we stay together as long as, until death might separate us. It is a covenant for life that nobody is allowed to break. And that's why God also says in the prophet Malachi, the Lord hates divorce because it means you are breaking a covenant. And God made a covenant with Israel. And He says, I'm going to give you this land for all eternity. And there is one thing that is important for us to understand on this covenant. This covenant was not that Abraham and God together were walking through those pieces of animal, but we read that Abraham was sleeping at the side, and God alone was passing through those animals. God alone was making that covenant with Abram. You can say it was a one-sided agreement where God told Abram, Abram, no matter what you are doing, no matter how your descendants will behave, I, the God of heaven, the God of Israel, I make a covenant today with you, that this land of Israel will be your possession for all eternity. And this is so important for us to understand that God never changed His mind with the Jewish people. He never broke the covenant with Israel. But our God is a covenant-keeping God And again, you know, this is a teaching that the church for many centuries did not understand. They said, well, but God changed his mind with the Jewish people. He gave them over to judgment, and he gave them over uh, to dispersion, and they couldn't believe that there was a, a future for the Jewish people anymore. In Germany, even, there was a Israel or a Jew Sunday in the church where they commemorated the scattering of the Jewish people all around the world and where they were proclaiming, We the church, we are the new Israel. But this is very important for us to understand that the nature of God, the character of God is that he keeps his covenants. And this is important for you and this is important for my life because God also made a covenant with you and with us. He made a covenant with the church. If God would really change his mind with the Jewish people, if God would say, I'm thinking it again with the Jewish people, maybe maybe I abandon them now, and I'm moving to a new people, the church, and maybe I will have a new relationship with them. If this would be indeed the, the case, then our foundation of our salvation would be on very shaky ground because we have to face it how often we as believers are not as faithful to the lord as we should be we have to face it that sometimes our prayer life is not as it should be. Our zeal and passion for Jesus is not as fiery as it is. So often we are lukewarm and even are tending to backslide. But the good thing about the gospel is like Paul says in 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, he says, the wonderful news is that even if we are unfaithful, he still remains faithful because he cannot deny himself and the same is not only true for us as believers but it is also true for Israel that God is a covenant keeping God and i want to to give you this second reason that it is not just about the nature of God, but also it gives an assurance to our own salvation that we know because God is so faithful to the Jewish people, because God is faithful to Israel, we can be assured he will be also faithful to you and also faithful to my life. And uh, and this is the reason why we bless Israel, because God today, as we look to the Middle East, as we look to Israel, we see Him as keeping His promises, keeping His covenants with Israel and the Jewish people. And that's why we also align ourselves with God and His purposes with Israel. Reason number one, God loves Israel. Reason number two, God is a covenant-keeping God. The third reason I want to give you is that God in the restoration of Israel is hallowing or sanctifying his name. God in the restoration of Israel is hallowing or is sanctifying his name. And I want you to open for this point Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, we spoke yesterday a little bit about that in our global prayer gathering, about this great... Um, A statement that God made in regard to the restoration of Israel, Ezekiel chapter 36. And please allow me to have a short sip of water because it is quite warm here today in Jerusalem. And here in Ezekiel chapter 36 we read from verse 20. But when they, the Jews, came to the nations where they came, they profaned my holy name, in that the people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out from this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, but for the sake of my holy name that I am about to act which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before your eyes, because I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And later on, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes it is five times in this passage that i was just reading from you from ezekiel chapter 36 verse 20 to verse 23 five times where god says when i am going to restore you o house of israel i am also sanctifying my name i'm vindicating the holiness of my name among the nations and In a way, it is a point that is very much related also to what I just shared before. Um, You might wonder, how did the Jewish people uh, desecrate or uh, or, um, profane the name of the Lord? Um, some people say, well, it was because they didn't believe in Yeshua, they didn't believe in Jesus, they were living a sinful life, and that's how they uh, profaned the name of the Lord. But here, the prophet Ezekiel gives us an answer how exactly that was happening and why God was so much concerned about it. In verse 20, he says, Wherever you went, you profaned my name in the following way, in that the people, the nations of the world, said, of them, these are the people of the Lord, and they had to go out of their land. But I had concern for my holy name. And this is so important for us to understand. I said this in the beginning that for almost 2,000 years, even the church, not even talking about the unbelievers, even the church didn't understand God's faithfulness to the Jewish people. They even taught very systematically. God is finished with the Jews. There is no hope and no future for them. They said God broke his covenant with them. Those promises from Israel, they are not anymore belonging to Israel. They belong now to us as the church. And God says by saying so, by pointing the finger to Israel, stating that God is finished with the Jews, stating that God is not keeping his covenant, his promises. He says, you are desecrating my name among the nations. That means you are telling the nation that you cannot really trust the name of the Lord. You are telling the nation that God is not keeping his covenants. You are telling that God is not keeping the promises that he made with Israel. And God says, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to restore the reputation of my name that the whole world will see that I'm a covenant and a promise-keeping God that people can see, they see all over the world, they can rely on the name of the Lord, that he is a faithful God who stands to his promises. That's why the great Um, Swiss theologian Karl Barth, when Israel was being restored in the the year 1948 and in particular when Jerusalem was united in May 1967, he said to his students in the Bible school, he says, now we can read it even in the newspapers that God is a covenant-keeping God. Because the whole world could see when they looked to the newspaper that the Jews returned, that the desert is becoming like a Garden of Eden, that the nation is rebuilding the ancient ruined places. They could read it all over the world, even in the newspapers, on the television screens, that God is a covenant-keeping God. God says, I'm going to sanctify my name all around the world by bringing the Jewish people back, that the whole world will see. that. My word is true. My promises are true. My character is indeed a character that is a covenant keeping God. And um, also, by the way, you know, one of the most important prayers for us as the church and as believers is the Lord's prayer that starts, Father, our Father, which in inhabit, hallowed be thy name. And here in Ezekiel chapter 36, you get get such a powerful description, what what it means that God is sanctifying His name among the nations. It's for sure not the only way how He is doing it, but God says, I'm hallowing my name by restoring the Jewish people back to their homeland. So I want to encourage you today, even on this webinar, that when you pray the Lord's prayer in your church, when you pray it maybe even in your private prayer. Lord, hallowed be your name that you also keep the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, in your mind and say, Lord, even today, hallow your name, sanctify your name in the land of Israel. Because God says that's what he is going to do. So number one, we saw one reason why we should bless Israel, because he loves them. He is passionate about them. Number two He's a covenant-keeping God. Number three, God says, I'm going to sanctify my name among the nations by restoring the Jewish people back to their homeland. The fourth reason, and this is a reason that really gives me great excitement to speak about that, is that the restoration of Israel, the restoration of the Jewish people back to their homeland is a key for revival in the church. The restoration of Israel, the restoration of the Jewish people back to their homeland is a key for revival in the church. And you might say, Jürgen, where do you find that in the scriptures? How can you you verify that? I want you to open your Bible in Romans chapter 11. And there in Romans chapter 11, Paul makes two very powerful statements. He says in Romans chapter 11, verse 12, now if their fall is the riches for the world and their failure the riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. That's Romans chapter 11, verse 12. The second passage in the same chapter, verse 15, for if their being cast away is the reconciliation of the world what will their acceptance be but life from the dead?" And what Paul is doing here is making quite a mathematical extrapolation. He is uh, uh, using uh, his probably scientific knowledge that he might gain by his drawing conclusions from a smaller set to a larger set and extrapolates it. He says, think about it. He says, if the fall of the jewish people them not accepting messiah uh, in the a nation that they are, they are being cast away means the reconciliation of the world if their failure means the riches of the gentiles that means paul saw something that was taking place in his time the Jewish people were not accepting Yeshua as their messiah but he says lord nevertheless, nevertheless the gospel reached the ends of the world god was the good news was being preached to in every country even at the time of Paul, people were accepting Yeshua and the belief in the God of Israel in every country, and the blessing of Israel reached the nations. He says, "Now think what will happen if Israel will accept their messiah." He says, "If their fall already is the riches of the world, if they're cast away means the reconciliation of the world. He says, "How much more their fullness." What will the acceptance be but life from the dead? And John Wesley, he writes about this in his commentary. It's such a powerful statement that he makes there. He says so many, and he's quoting here, and he's referring to uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 12. He says, so many prophecies refer to this great event of the Jewish people being restored back to this land, that it is surprising that any Christian can doubt it. When it is accomplished, he says, it will be a strong demonstration both of the Old and New Testament rele- revelation that will doubtless convince many people about the gospel and it will receive overflowing life to the world which was dead. That means John Wesley understood that one day when God is going to restore the Jewish people, and he adds to that, he says, I wonder how anybody can doubt that, because it is so many times promised in the Bible. But he says, one day when this is going to happen, this, remember, this was in the 18th century when he was preaching about that. When they come back to their land, when they will have a king, when they are restored to the land of Israel, he says, this is going to be releasing a tremendous blessing to the whole world. And I want to share something with you that is happening even over this last 100 years. It's quite amazing to think about it that in the the end of the last of the uh, 19th century, there was a Jewish journalist in the city of Vienna who started to write a book, and uh, which was called the Jewish State, the Judenstaat. He wrote it in German, and he outlined in this book in Vienna the future of a possible Jewish state. And this was many people say in Israel today. This was the beginning of the Zionist movement, the beginning. Of the yearning of the Jewish people one day to return back to Zion. Just a few years later, as this Jewish journalist in Vienna was outlining the idea of uh, the Jewish people returning back to their land, the church around the world experienced the greatest revival that is lasting even until today. Just a few years later, after God started to move with the Jewish people. A tremendous blessing came to the church in a little location in a very unpresuming little church, led by a former slave pastor, William Seymour, and there in Los Angeles, in Azusa Street, God's spirit was being poured out. And not only in this little church, but it caused a wildfire to go all over the world. That has reached, in the meantime, literally every single nation of this world, where the spirit of God is being poured. Out, where people are experiencing the infilling of the holy spirit the mighty signs and wonders of god healings are taking place people who are demonized are being liberated and it all started in the very same time when god started to restore the jewish people if you go if you fast forward a few years of uh, around 50 years to the year 1948 when the state Of Israel was established. This charismatic or Pentecostal movement started to reach a new level as suddenly a whole series of healing ministers emerged in the Pentecostal movement and a healing revival took place. And I'm just mentioning a few names like all Roberts and others, which were instrumental, where for the first time the church recognized again that those promises of the Bible, that He's a healing God, that Jesus came not only to forgive our sins, but also to heal those who are struck with infirmities. Um, This came at the same time when the state of Israel was being established. And then some people recognized that in the year 1967, where the city of Jerusalem was being reunited, that this was the starting point of the charismatic revivals outside the evangelical world, even in the historic churches where God's Spirit was being pulled out, on Lutheran churches, and even on Catholic churches around the world where the fire of revival was spreading around the world. That means Paul's world was so much right where he says, well, if God starts to restore the Jewish people, we can expect a blessing to be released among the Gentiles, and even in the church. And there's one passage that I would like to add to that. And this is a passage that Paul, uh, that Peter is giving us as he is preaching in the temple in Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 3. The context of that passage is that Peter was just healing the lame man at the beautiful gate. By the way, We will be this year with the Feast of Tabernacles at the beautiful gate, the place where the uh, nations and the Jewish people entered the the temple court. Um, That's the place where Peter was healing the lame man, where he said the famous words, gold and silver, I have not, but I give you what I have in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk, and right at the very same spot, we are going to represent your nations To God during the Feast of Tabernacles. Every country that has more than 10 nations registered on our online Feast of Tabernacles, we will raise your flag at that very same spot, and we are going to pray for revival for your country, wherever you might be coming. So, I want to encourage you here uh, to even register your nation. Make sure at least 10 people are registered or more, and we are going to pray for your country, and we will raise your flag there. Now, As this lame man was being raised, and everybody recognized him, they said, We know the guy. He was there every morning when we went into the temple. He was laying there. He couldn't move for many years and he was begging for money. Now he was running around in the temple and uh, they asked him, What happened? He says, Well, those two guys there, Peter and John, they prayed with me for me in the name of Jesus. And then suddenly God healed me. And then they True, close to Peter and John and we, we read in verse 11 how he was preaching to them. He says, man of Israel, listen to me. And um, I want you to understand the following here that Peter as he was preaching this sermon in Acts chapter 3, he was not in a Bible seminar in Brownsville or in Azusa Street or in Beijing or anywhere else. He was standing in Jerusalem in the court of the temple where only Jewish people were allowed. So this message was squarely directed to a Jewish audience. And he says, man of Israel. That means this were the people who were listening to him. And then I'm, I'm fast forwarding it to verse 19. Remember, he speaks to the Jewish people. Man of Israel again. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, until the time for the restoration of all things, about which God spoke through the mouth of his holy prophet long time ago, has come. And this is such a powerful statement that Paul, uh, that Peter is making to us here. He's uh, remember speaking to a Jewish audience, to the people of Israel. He tells them, "Repent, turn to the Lord, accept your Messiah." And if you do that, he says, "God is releasing a blessing." This is exactly what Peter's, what Paul says in Romans chapter eleven. He says. If they have fallen away already releases a blessing, how much more the acceptance. This is the same statement that Peter makes here where he says, if you repent, God will give us time of refreshments. So he speaks about the time of the restoration of all things that eventually will usher even the return of Jesus to this world. And what is interesting, the early apostle, both Peter and Paul, they understood that in the end time restoration of Israel, God is going to release a series of blessing, a wave of blessing that will come to the world, that will culminate eventually in the physical return of Jesus back to this world. And let me give you one last passage to underline that in Matthew chapter, and I have to watch the time here, but Matthew chapter uh, Twenty-three. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives, and he's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And he's saying the following statement. He says, um, 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 "You will." I will tell you. He's standing there on the Mount of, of Olives. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets, etc. And then he says in verse thirty-nine, "I tell you." You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or in Hebrew, this is stated, Baruch Haba B'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is such an important passage for us. This basically says exactly the same like what Peter said in the temple, what Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter 11, where Jesus says, I'm only returning to you. You will see me only again if I hear from you this following statement that you tell me, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now let me tell you, I for many years I wondered when I was reading that passage back in, in Germany I wondered always, why in the world does the Jewish people have to say a statement that we normally don't say so often in our churches? Very rarely, maybe we have a song here and there where we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but it's not part of our day-to-day vocabulary. Until I moved to Israel with my wife, and I never forget the day when our professor, who was a complete secular man, invited us for the first time for dinner to his home. He opened the door and he greeted us, Baruch Haba, blessed is he who comes. Then somebody else invited a colleague of us from the Weizmann Institute, invited us for a barbecue at his home. And I couldn't believe it again. He opened the door and he says, Jürgen and Wessner, Baruchim Habaim, blessed are you who are coming. If you come to Jerusalem and if you arrive at Ben-Gurion Airport down in Tel Aviv, and if you drive all the way up to the Holy City, the very last curve There is a big uh, um, area of flowers and in big white letters, it's written there, Baruch Haba Yerushalayim, blessed is he who comes to Jerusalem. Now what the municipality, the city of Jerusalem want to tell you is the following. They don't want to say really blessed is he who comes to Jerusalem, but Baruch Haba is until today the way how the Jewish people are welcoming each other. If you are inviting guests, if you are arriving to Jerusalem, if you come to Israel, they will tell you, Baruch Haba, blessed is he who comes, welcome in Jerusalem. And Jesus is telling us here I'm not returning back to the city of Jerusalem until I hear you as a city corporately telling me, Jesus, you are welcome. We want you to be as our King, as our Messiah over us. And Jesus says, once I hear that voice crying from Jerusalem, that's the point when I will come back, he says. And that's why it's so important also, not just to build, to work towards the physical restoration, but also to work for a spiritual restoration that God will do in his day one day. He will do it with us or will do it without us. But God is going to restore the people to him, and this will usher eventually the return of Jesus. That means the restoration of Israel is so important for us. It will release blessing, it will release revival, but also it will release uh, the prophetic sign that, or it will be the prophetic condition that Jesus will be able to come back to this world. One last point. So, we have seen God loves the Jewish people. That's why we should bless them. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's hallowing His name. And he also, we saw that the restoration of Israel is a a key for future blessing, for revival, and ultimately for the return of Yeshua, the physical return of Yeshua back to this world. And I'm looking at my watch here. It says we are at 16.53. And what I will do, I will rush a little bit more quickly next week, uh, and I will do next week six points. But uh, this, I believe today, are very important points that I shared with you. Uh, number one, we, we should bless Israel because God loves the Jewish people. If he, loves, if he loves them, you should love them also. And if you don't feel today the love of God for his people, I invite you today to ask the Lord, please give me your love, give me your passion for Israel. Secondly, the Lord is restoring Israel because he is a promise-keeping, a covenant-keeping God And remember, as you look to Israel, as you see the news in your newspapers, and your television, and see a restored Tel Aviv, you see a restored 'er Beersheba, and Ashkelon, and Ashtod, those ancient cities are being rebuilt, remember that he also will be faithful to keep all the promises that he made for your life. Thirdly, we have seen that God is restoring the Jewish people because in it, he is sanctifying his name. Again, you know, when you pray the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name, please remember also the Jewish people in your prayer as you pray it. And lastly, we have seen that there is a restoration of Israel. The fullness of Israel is a key for future blessing, a key for revival. And therefore, I think we have seen four powerful reasons why we should bless the Jewish people. We will go next week through the remainder of those reasons, but I would like to open very briefly if there are some questions today uh, on what I have said, and I will hand the mic back to uh, Barry. Wow,
1: Jordan. Um, I hope everyone of you are like me taking lots of notes. Um, we tried to post all of the uh, verses in the chat, um, and I don't think we've done this before, but there was so much good, solid, biblical teaching in this. If you didn't weren't able to take the notes and capture all of the verses and the references, you can send an email to ICEJ at ICEJ.org. Our receptionist will get that. And we will we'll prepare something in this coming week. We may wait until after part two, and we'll we'll send out a, a PDF of this biblical outline of these amazing biblical truths. You know, Juergen, you, you highlighted the the relationship between the movement of the restoration of Israel and the miraculous explosion of the church. And following up on that, it's something, you know, in 1948, the... Christians in South Korea, which at that time it was just one Korea, but it was less than one half of 1%. 1948, Israel became a nation, the, the Healing Waters Revival Movement broke out, and I had the privilege of working with Oral Roberts, one of the leaders in that movement. And today, the church in South Korea is approaching 30, 40% of the population. We see very similar numbers in Brazil, where I had a privilege of working. So in real concrete numbers, as Israel has become a nation and as Jerusalem has become restored, we see God causing the church of Jesus to explode around the world. Uh, let me open the chat here right quick and see if we have any questions. I haven't really seen questions as we've gone through.
2: Uh, and, and Barry, if if I can add to it, you know the the teaching I'm uh, presenting here today, and also next week, and who knows, maybe even in, I need a third a third webinar to complete it completely, but it actually is based on an article that I just wrote for the Word from Jerusalem magazine and I just want to underline what you said if you would like to have a copy of the teaching I actually subs- I uh, recommend you to subscribe to our flagship magazine it's called The World from Jerusalem it contains every two months we will send it to you to your mailing box uh, it contains a, uh, a Bible teaching plus updates of our ministry here in Jerusalem news what's happening here in the land of Israel and please give those details either your mailing address and we will send you a hard copy of the word from Jerusalem or your email and you will receive either or both just the teaching and also a PDF of the magazine so you can read it and read it at home
1: Amen and when when you send the email if you are not on our email update list that goes out from ICEJ do request that and we will add that to your list um, just because of the difficulties of capturing everything in chat, send an email to icej@icej.org, and we will we will make sure you get all of that information.
2: It, it is important. We do see there are people starting to give us their their emails, but um, please send it to the email. Kilera, just put it there. In the chat icj.org because we cannot copy and paste right now out from the chat section so please send us an email and we will stay in contact with you
1: amen well jürgen thank you very much um i've already got my notebook ready for next week's session to take notes and uh, thank you for all of you attending i've been fascinating to watch our numbers go up uh, Jürgen, everyone obviously loved hearing the sound biblical teaching, because when we started at about 4.15, we only had 150. And every 10 minutes, we had another 15 or 20 people joining the session. We're at 211 now. And of course, we know that thousands will be watching it on our YouTube channel and Facebook over the weekend, so you can share that from our official channels there. So from Jerusalem, we wish you As we say here in Jerusalem, a Shabbat Shalom. It's not yet Shabbat, but we won't be seeing you again in the webinar until Shabbat is here. So from Jerusalem, Shabbat Shalom, and may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ protect you through this next week.
2: God bless you, everybody, and Shabbat Shalom from Jerusalem. I want to personally invite you for our special Feast webinar series. The theme of this year's Feast of Tabernacles is the Days of Elijah. I'm inviting you here from the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out 2000 years ago. We expect that the Lord will do something special also at this year's Feast of Tabernacles. Please stay tuned and join our special webinars for the Feast of Tabernacles.